With that, let's open our Bibles to Romans chapter 7 today as we continue in our study through the book of Romans. Romans chapter 7. As you're making your way there, I'm going to throw my wife under the bus and tell you a story. (laughs) And I'm going to preface this story by saying I have an amazing wife and I don't deserve her. So uh, she is she is awesome. But having said that, Brenda, you're going to get roasted here. No, um, <laughs> when uh, when Brenda was pregnant with our with our old now oldest daughter, our first our first child, Megan, who just had a child of her own. But when when Megan was uh, or when Brenda was pregnant with Megan, she um, she went through a lot of changes. And you know we're brand new married. I've never had a wife who's pregnant before, and 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 I don't you know I don't know what to expect. And they go through all kinds of crazy changes. And, and one of the things that I didn't realize is that pregnant women get insane and lose their mind. And, uh, and those of you ladies who are pregnant, <laughs> Lord, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, just crazy. So Brenda's going through this. And um, I mean, it's nuts. I'm, I'm working in, in, uh, in the, the ER. Uh, down at a hospital before I became a paramedic. Before I went to paramedic school, I was an emergency medical technician. One of my jobs was put on casts. And, and, and so there I am. I'm working in the ER. And uh, um, my wife calls me in the middle of... i got two guys back there. They both need to need casts. I'm in the middle of casting one of them. And, and hey, Ted, your wife's on the phone. Go get the call. And, uh, you know, I'm talking to my wife. And, and she she's just lost her mind. Just completely like I'm... Satan? Is that you? know, I was like, it's nuts. And uh, uh, so I get off the phone. I mean, clearly my countenance has changed. And I go back into this room. I'm just reeling from this. Like, what on earth just happened? The guy's like, dude, are you all right? I'm like, my wife's pregnant, man. I'm just dealing. He's like, oh, just say no more. My wife's had. And so he launches into and he starts telling me all this story about, you know, what his wife went through. The guy next to us chimes in. He's like, oh, that ain't nothing, man. Let me tell you about my wife. And so, you know, here we are. And, and in a weird sort of way, these guys are totally encouraging me. I'm like, oh, okay, I'm not alone. This is normal. I guess all women get insane when they get, you know, pregnant, whatever. I, I use that story kind of as an opener because here's the deal. As I'm preparing Romans chapter 7 to teach you guys, a lot of guys, a lot of commentators who, who you know, write and, and evaluate, they basically say Romans chapter 7 is a tough chapter. Uh, one of the reasons they, they, they think it's a tough chapter or consider it a low point in the book of Romans, I'm crazy, uh, is because it deals with the effect of sin and our most chiefly our struggle with sin. But I got to tell you, I think it's like one of the high points in the book of Romans. If for no other reason that I can look at the Apostle Paul, a man who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, and I can read here with the Apostle Paul that he's saying he's having a tough time following after the Lord. I mean, just listen to his words. He, he says in, in verses, seven, uh, verses 21 through 24 of chapter 7, he says, I find then a law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good, for I delight in the law of God according to the inward man, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. And he says, Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And I go, Thank you, Jesus, I'm normal. I mean, I struggle with sin, and I feel like... So, do you, you ever feel that way? You're like, I'm nuts, man. I love the Lord, and everything in me wants to follow after Him. And yet, you know, 
I can't believe I just did that. I can't believe I said that. I can't believe I thought that. And we feel like there's something wrong with us. And I come to Romans chapter 7 and I go, Paul, there's something wrong with you too. And that's cool. I mean, somebody asked me one time, they go, hey, apart from Jesus, because he's the obvious answer, who would you most like to meet of all, you know, all the Bible characters? I'm like, I'd love to spend some time with the Apostle Paul. Yeah, I mean, what a cool dude. He plants churches, he gets shipwrecked, he gets beaten. He's like, he's a man's man. He's going out on a radical venture of faith with God. I mean, we prayed over Brian today. I mean, I just dig guys that, that go on ventures of faith with God. I mean, like, you know, that's what men do, you know. And I'm thinking, this is so cool. And so for me to read this man that I admire, that I'd love to spend time with, that I think is a giant in the faith, wrote two-thirds of the Bible. I mean, how'd you like to have that on your resume? I wrote two-thirds of the Bible. You're hired. You know, and he says... He's like, uh, I struggle. Who's gonna, I'm a wretched man. I'm like, oh, thank you. There's hope for me. So with that, last week in chapter 6, and by the way, chapter 6 and chapter 7 of Romans, they're intricately connected. So I'm going to be doing a lot of referencing back to chapter 6 in our study from last week. If you didn't listen to the message, go online, listen to it. Um, but last week in chapter 6, what we did is we looked at how how we, we've died to sin in Christ. And basically what we see there is our positional sanctification in Jesus Christ. And we see the practical steps that we can take to live in the victory that Christ purchased for us. And so Paul lays out there how we're justified, how we're sanctified in Christ. Next week in Romans chapter 8, we're going to look at how we're glorified in Jesus Christ. But, but for now, Paul's dealing with our justification and our sanctification. And so, because of what Jesus has done for me, I can have power over sin practically. So we talked about this last week. We were like, you know, we don't have power to reform the old man, but we do have power to live in the new man. And, and there's, there's these practical steps that we can take, how we can know that we died to sin in Christ. Uh, and, and knowing, you know, taking captive those thoughts to the obedience of Christ. And how we can reckon ourselves to be dead to sin, dealing with our hearts. And just that attitude, reckon, is a, it's a nautical word, it's a calculating word, it's a, it's a, it's a word, it's a, like a mathematical word. You know, you do the math, and you just, you make a determination, you deal, you know, with the things of the heart. This is, you know, Okay, my mind tells me that this is right, and now I'm going to reckon. I'm saying, okay, I've done the math, and, and now I'm dealing with my heart. I get it from my, from my head to my heart. Yes, I'm going to walk in obedience with Christ. I'm going to die to sin. And then having died to sin, now I'm in a place where I can yield to God in obedience and live a life of obedience to God. Now, these are the things we studied last week in Romans chapter 6, and they're true, but there's one problem with that. I still sin. That's the problem. Even though all of those things are true, and even though we have all of those promises, the problem is that we still sin. And so, for us, what I like about Romans chapter 7, and what we're going to be looking at today, is that after the Apostle Paul spells out in chapter 6 how we're dead to sin and alive to Christ, and before he spells out uh, in chapter 8 how we can live in the new man through the power of the Holy Spirit, we have this parenthesis here of chapter 7. Uh, and chapter 7 basically is where Paul pulls us aside and he says, yeah, it's tough. And let me share with you that I struggle as well. And so we get this, this idea of how he struggled to live out his faith as well. And it's actually uh, encouraging for us. So uh, what Paul is doing here is he's addressing two sides of the righteousness issue. Okay, On Chapter 6, he addresses the first side. We died to sin. Chapter 7, he addresses the other side of the righteousness issue where we die to the law. 
So that's what we're going to talk about today. With that as a, as a preamble, Romans chapter 7, verse 1, Paul says, Or do you not know, brethren? For I speak to those who know the law, that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives. For the woman who has a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives. But if the husband dies, she's released from the law of her husband. So then, if while her husband lives, she marries another man, she will be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she's free from that law, so that she is no adulteress, though she now has married another man. Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another, to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. For when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit to death. But now we have been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by, so that we should serve in the newness of the Spirit and not the oldness of the letter. You see, as believers, we have a tendency... And our tendency is to either backslide or to frontslide, okay? That's this vacillating reality that we live with as believers, as followers of Christ. Uh, We either slide back into sinful behavior and we deny Jesus by sowing to the flesh. We've all experienced that. I won't ask for a show of hands, but we've all done that. Or the other alternatingly wrong behavior that we fall into is that we slide forward into legalism. And this is where we actually deny Jesus by trusting in our own flesh. See, either way, it's a problem because we're either in the flesh uh, in sin or we're in the flesh in, you know, proudfully trying to follow the Lord in legalism. And this is what Paul is addressing in chapters 6 and 7. It's why they fit together. Romans 6 deals with backsliding. Paul says, stop sinning and die to your old ways already. Uh, just, just come on, stop it, die to sin. Chapter 7, Paul's dealing with front sliding, and the point that he's making basically is this. It's important that you die to sin, yes, but in your dying to sin, don't overreact and become legalistic. Don't try and live out your faith by you being some legalistic, God-squad kind of a person. You know, uh, you can't listen to that type of music. You can listen to this type of music, but you can't listen to that type of music. You can't can't watch that on television. You can watch this on television, but you can't watch that on television. You you can't go to that movie. Hey, you can only go to movies that are rated PG. Can I go to one rated PG-13? No. Well, what about this movie that's rated PG? Well, okay, that one that's rated PG-13, yeah, you can go to that one, but you can't go to this one over here. How about R? Never. No, you can't go to a movie that's rated R. Okay, well, what about The Passion of the Christ? That's rated R. Oh, well, yeah, you can go to The Passion of the Christ. Yeah, that one's all right, but you can't go to, to, to something else. Well, wait a minute. Passion of the Christ was rated R because of violence. I want to go to this other R-rated movie. It's a, it's a war movie. They rated it R because it's got violence, but it's just historical violence. It's just depicting the violence that happened in World War II. It's, it's actually, re- well, yeah, you can go, that's okay. You can see that one, but, but you can't see the other one. Well, why not? Well, because, you know, R-rated movies, if they got nudity and stuff in them, that's why you can't. Okay, so it's just, just you know, that's the thing. Like nudity, 
Yeah, all right, so I can go to an R-rated movie if it's just the language. No, it's got bad language. You can't go to that R-rated movie because there's bad language in it. Well, I work with guys who cuss and swear like sailors all the time. What's the difference? See, there's this back and forth, and the problem with having a legalistic attitude about how I'm right with God and how I'm not right with God. Now, let let me clarify something. Don't leave here going, hey, Pastor Ted said, you know, we can just go hang out at the bar and watch R-rated movies. No, that's not what Pastor Ted said. Here's what Pastor Ted's saying. Pastor Ted's saying that in your exercise to be right with God, don't make it about this laundry list of if I do this and this and this, then I'm right with God. And if I don't do this and this and this, then I'm right with God and everything's cool. And, and, and if I do this and this and this and this, then I'm going to like not be right with God. But if I refrain from this, because when you start making out this list that determines your rightness with God and whether you're well-pleasing to God, what happens is the list just gets longer and longer and longer and it's constantly changing. Uh, and, and who's the keeper of the list? You are. So what does it ultimately do? Well, it makes your religion subject to you, which makes you what? Makes you God. See, that's the problem. This is what Paul is trying to convey in Romans chapter 7. In Romans chapter 6, he's like, die to sin. Romans chapter 7, he says, you got to die to the law because, you know, you can't front slide and get into this legalistic attitude about how you're made right with God. That is an inherent problem. I'll illustrate it this way. Brenda and I, we, we had a marriage retreat that we did several years ago. And uh, we were putting the, the retreat together. We, we had a, a lot of couples that wanted to come. And um, we, we had a couple of hundred people on this marriage retreat. So we, uh, we arranged it to be on a cruise ship. And so we went away for this three-day cruise. And you guys, you've been on a cruise where, you know, you have, um, you know, we have our teaching sessions. So they reserve the, the room in the theater for us for that. But then, you know, in between, you've got meals and then the, the shipboard entertainment. And it's not all edifying, but we're looking at with the things that they have. And we go, oh, cool, they got this bingo thing that we can do. So we tell everybody, hey, we're going to have this bingo night. Everybody comes. We've packed the place out. We're having a ball, man. Christ is large and just being represented there. Everybody's having the greatest fun. Uh, And we're playing bingo. You you pay five bucks. You get a card. You play. You know, people win. And, you know, hey, it's cool. We get done with this thing, done with the whole retreat, done with the whole cruise. And the following week, this lady who was on the cruise confronts me and says, that was wrong that you were in there playing bingo. I'm like, why? She's like, you were gambling. I'm like, I wasn't gambling. We, you know, everybody paid five bucks. Well, how much you pay to go to a movie? We're just there for entertainment. So I wasn't there trying to balance my checkbook. Based on, man, I got, come on, bingo, you know? It wasn't about that. But she's like, oh, no, it was wrong. You, should, you shouldn't have done that. I'm like, so how did you, if you think it was wrong, then how did you know? She goes, well, I was there. I go, well, were you playing? Well, yeah, I was playing. How is that not wrong? She goes, well, it's right. It's okay for me to play bingo. It's not okay for you to play bingo. I'm like, are you serious here? Are you really, this is for real? Yeah. So I, I get this, this, this flash of inspiration. It happens from time to time. I'm like, well, do you ever play bunko? She's like, well, well, yeah, I play bunko. She's doing the backstroke. Well, yeah, I play bunko. Well, isn't there money involved in that? Oh, no, well, we play for candy bars. Like, come on, lady, it's just legalistic. You know, you, you're determining righteousness on this set of rules and, and on the do's and don'ts, and it's ever-changing, and, and you just make yourself out to be God. And so here's what Paul's saying, basically. He goes, look, we're not saved, Romans chapter 6, by our white-knuckle efforts to stop sinning. 
And here in Romans chapter 7, he says, look, we're not saved by our white-knuckle efforts to keep the law. It isn't about that. We are saved and sanctified by what Christ has done for us. This is, this is what Paul is building on. It's where he's leading us to. Jeremiah 17.9 says this, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? That applies to everything we do, guys. It even applies to our religion. And so because your heart is wicked and because my heart is wicked, we need to realize the law is never going to cleanse or complement us. It just serves to bust us. That's the point of the law. The law isn't there to make you right by keeping it. The law is there so that you will be busted and the sin of your life would be revealed. I'll illustrate it to you this way. When you get pulled over by a cop, does he ever pull you over to say, you know, I've been following you for several miles and man, I just want to compliment you on your driving. You did such a great job. When you made that signal to change lanes, it was a beautiful, it was a work of art, man. I had tears in my eye. You, were, you signaled and you looked and you let the guy pass you and then you merged over ever so delicate. You turned your blinker off. You braked just, it was, a, it was a thing of beauty. You braked really nicely and you stopped behind the limit line. He doesn't do that. He pulls you over. He says, license and registration. You broke the law. And here's a ticket for you. And they get some sort of perversity. They're happy they write it, you know? And, and, and then the, the, the picture there, that's Paul's point here. The law only serves to prove your guilt. You're guilty. That's the purpose of the law. And, and so the thing is, is it's Jesus who, in whom we have no condemnation. It's Jesus in whom we receive grace and mercy and forgiveness in our time of trial. It's not coming, that, that grace, that mercy, that forgiveness, that rightness, it's not coming through the law. What's coming through the law is condemnation. And, and that's exactly where Paul's leading us here. Uh, I'll give you a, just a, a, a heads up, a, a preview of next week's message. Here's where Paul's leading us, Romans 8, verse 1, where he says, there is therefore now no condemnation. See, the law condemns. And where Paul's leading us is, don't be right with God, don't try to be right with God by keeping the law, because you're only going to get condemnation from the law. There's therefore no condemnation to to those who are in Christ Jesus, on the other hand, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. This is where Paul is leading us. And so, Paul says, look, in effect, you died to sin, Romans chapter 6. By the way, in Christ, you got to die to the law, Romans chapter 7. And so this is the point that he's driving home. And so what happens in verses 2 and 3, Paul illustrates this truth by quoting from the seventh commandment. That you're not supposed to commit adultery. So Paul tells us this, this story. We read it. Uh, let recap it for you. Basically, he tells us a story about a woman who's married to Mr. Wright. Okay? When she married him, she just didn't me- realize that his, name, his first name was Always. Okay? She married Mr. Wright, and he's Mr. Always Wright. Mr. Always Wright is the law. This is the, the analogy that Paul's giving. And, and so no matter what she does, she can't please Mr. Always Wright. The law is a taskmaster. He's always there to point out her faults. He's always there to make her life miserable. And she's just like, you know, he's always right and I'm always wrong and I hate it. And then one day, Mr. Wright drops dead. And she's like, party! Yes! I'm set free from Mr. Wright. Mr. Always Right is out of my life. It's like this. 
if my wife Brenda showed up here with a boyfriend, we'd have issues. There'd be a problem. You know, ladies, you'd be like, she's a floozy, you know? There's, there's, there's issues there. But if I drop dead, if I get hit by a bus out here after church or whatever the case may be, and down the road, Brenda comes pulling up, and she's got a new husband, and he's a new and improved model. He's younger, he's tanner, he's fitter, he's rich, and he worships the ground she walks on, and they come pulling up in a Corvette, you know, convertible Corvette, you ladies would be going, well done, Brenda, you know, good job. And that's what Paul is saying. He's like, look, if, if you're trying to like have this perfect you know, match made in heaven with keeping the law, it's just going to be a life of pain and a life of struggle. And in the end, it's an, a, a life of condemnation. That's, that's Paul's whole point here. And so he says in verse 4, he says, Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ, He's that new and improved model, well done, that you may be married to another, to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. And so Paul finishes the thought in verse 6, he says, but now we've been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by, so that we should serve in the newness of the spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. And that's the whole point. Now Paul gets to to verse 7, and he asks a logical question at this point. He says this, uh, he says, what shall we say then is the law sin? Reasonable question, because you can imagine the hearers at this point. I mean, Paul's laying out a pretty strong case, and you you can imagine them going, wait, wait, wait a minute, Paul. Didn't God give us the law? I mean, how can it be? (coughs) How can it be sin? You're you're making it out to be sin. Didn't God give us the law? Now, you know... I don't understand that the law is the problem. Paul answers his own question. He says, certainly not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law. For I would not have known covetousness unless the law had said, you shall not covet. But sin, taking opportunity by the commandment, produced in me all manner of evil desire, for apart from the law, sin was dead. I was alive once without the law, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. And the commandment, which was to bring life, I found to bring death. For sin, taking the occasion by the commandment, deceived me and by it killed me. Therefore, the law is holy and the commandment holy and just and good. Now, I want you, if you're a note taker, to, uh, to take note of, of that word opportunity in uh, verse 8. You might want to circle that. That word opportunity, in the original language, it's a military term. And it means this, it means base of operations. Okay? And, and so here's what Paul is saying. He's saying, look, the law provides a springboard, a base of operations from which sin is all too ready to take off. It's like this. I'll illustrate it this way. In July 1944, the Allied forces took over Tinian, an island that was occupied by the Japanese. This was a Japanese island. okay? And on the island of Tinian, they had built an airstrip. And that airstrip was intended for Japanese use. Okay, Their Planes were supposed to take off from Tinian. Their planes were supposed to protect their homeland from the base of Tinian. 
But the Allied forces took over Tinian and they used it now as a base of operations. Do we have any students in history know the significance of Tinian? That's where the atomic bomb was launched from. The Enola Gay took off from the air bases at Tinian. See, here's the thing. Paul's point is that there's nothing wrong with the law. It's just the base of operation for the atom bomb to be launched from. Okay? The atom bomb, A-D-A-M. See, because the thing is, is that all of us have sinned through Adam. Adam sinned. He passed the sin down to us through our genes. And so what happens is that now we have this sin nature within us. And what the law does is it provides that base of operations for our sin to launch this atom bomb attack in our lives, right? Pretty amazing thing here. And so the, the whole point is that we need to see the law as God intended. This is where Paul's coming from. This is where he's trying to get us to. That we need to see that the law is a vehicle by which God reveals our sinful hearts. That's what the law is for. That the thing that God uses to point out our desperate need for Christ is the law. And so he gives to us the law and it's only a matter of time before our sinful nature launches its attack from that base. I'll illustrate it for you. Calvary Chapel pastor tells this story. He's going out with his wife, taking her on a date night. And, uh, and, he, go, and he said to his kids as they're walking out the door, they're there with the babysitter. And, and afterwards, he's like, I have no idea why I said this. But, but just there's kids sitting there eating and he's walking out the door with his wife and he says to them randomly, don't stick beans up your nose. Guess where they spent that night? In the ER getting beans out of his daughter's nose. She heard the law, the commandment, and her sinful nature took over and launched an attack from that law. And he said, you could just see the wheels turning even after I said it. She's like, beans, up my nose. How many beans can I get up my nose? Where are these beans that I can stick up my nose? And it was only a matter of time before she did it. There, there was a hotel in Florida. They, they built this hotel. It was waterfront. They had all balconies out there. Somebody got the bright idea. Let's stick the signs out on the balconies. No fishing from the balconies. Guess what everybody started doing? I'll start fishing from the balconies. They're like, we never had this problem before. So they took the signs down. People stopped fishing from the balconies. They're like, you know, <laughs> I never even thought to fish from the balcony. See, the law is just this springboard that, that allows our sinful nature to go, yeah, I'll do that. You know, there's just that thing in us. You don't want me to do that? Guess now all I want to do is, do, I can tell you guys today, don't eat tuna fish sandwich. Whatever you do, don't eat tuna fish sandwich. And then you'd be like, God, I love a tuna fish sandwich. Man, anything. See, that's just our sinful nature. It's the vehicle by which God reveals our sinful nature. So Paul asks another question at this point. Verse 13. He says, Has then what is good become death to me? And he immediately answers the question, Certainly not, but sin, that it might appear sin, was producing death in me through what is good, so that sin, through the commandment, might become exceedingly sinful. In other words, Paul says this, the law doesn't kill you. Sin kills you. The law just reveals sin for what it is and gives it an occasion to intensify. That's all it does. And and again, keep in mind, God gives his law so that we will see, I'm a piece of work, man. I am a sinner. 
Because as Paul will lament here in just a minute, that that I want to do, I don't do. That I don't want to do, that's what I do. And, and so, you know, <laughs> this is where Paul's going. He says in verse 14, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal. And by the way, this word carnal, Paul only uses this word in association when he's talking about Christians. You know, some people read this and they say, oh, he's talking about people that, that don't have Christ. No, he only uses it in, in every other occasion when he's talking about those that are in Christ. And basically he's saying, look, yeah, you're, you're a Christian, you're saved by grace, and you've got this carnal nature inside you that you've got to fight against. We'll talk about that in a minute. So he says, I'm carnal, I'm sold under sin. For what I'm doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice, but what I hate, that I do. Now, now Paul's about here, the guy's got more brain cells than anything, and so I mean, you're like, just speak English, Paul. And, and you can just see this as we go through this. He, he's so cerebral, you're like, what? But I, I think it's good because it causes you to read it and read it and read it and you, you get it. If it was, you know, in something, you know, the NIV or whatever, you might read through it and just not really take it to heart. You, know, you just understand it really quickly and move on, but you don't really get it. The way he talks, you have to kind of take it three words at a time and really sort of comprehend it. So maybe you end up knowing it better in the long run. But here's Paul, Mr. Cerebral. I mean, just listen. He goes, for what I will to do, that I do not practice, but what I hate, that I do. If I then I do what I do not do, I agree with the law that it is good. But now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I do not do, but the evil that I will not to do, that I practice. Now if I do what I will not to do, uh, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. Speak English, Paul. Uh, he says in verse 21, I find then a law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. See, basically, here's what Paul's saying. He basically goes, look, as a Christian, you've got a new nature. The Bible says that we're born into sin. David lamented this. He says, in sin, my mother conceived me. In sin, I was born into this world. He's talking about the sinful nature that we received in Adam. And so contrary to what psychologists will say, that man is basically good and society over time makes him bad, that's baloney. The Bible says... That, you know, I mean, psychology says if you look deep enough within yourself, you find the answer to all your problems. Psychology says look deep enough within yourself, you can find the source of all your problems. The problem's you. You know, it's kind of like that, you know, that the, the old movie, you know, and Bill Murray's in, I can't remember the movie, but he, he, he's breaking up with his girlfriend and he goes, huh, the basic problem that I'm still around. Is that what you're telling me? She's like, yeah, the basic problem is you're still around. And that's the basic problem with us. We're sinners. And, and so... Yet, the Bible teaches that by grace, as we receive Jesus Christ, that he comes in and he, and he makes us a new creation. We can be born again. We can be transformed uh, just by this rebirth, by the birth of the new man. And that's exactly what happens when, by faith, we say, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. I believe that all have sinned, that the wages of sin is death. I believe that the Bible is true when it says the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. I believe the Bible is true when it says, if I confess my sins, that you're faithful and just to forgive me of my sins and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness, to make me a new creature in Christ. And so we come to God on his terms, not on ours. And we say, Lord, I surrender all. I love you. I want to follow you. You're Lord, I'm not. I get that. And so when that happens, we're reborn. We have a new nature that's born within us. Thank you, Lord. But your old nature doesn't leave. 
You know, we talked about that last week, how great it would be if we came to faith in Christ and all of a sudden we're translated into heaven. And I get to be with God in eternity. I get the new nature. The old nature is gone. But it doesn't happen that way. Yes, we die to the old nature. Yes, we're born again in newness of life. But the old man sticks around. And the issue is whichever one you feed, that's the one that's going to control your life, that's going to govern your life. And so this is what Paul is saying here. He goes on in verse 22, he says, For I delight in the law according to the inward man, that new man that's been reborn in Christ. But he says, But I see another law in my members, the old nature, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which was in my members. And so he laments, he gets to the place where he says, Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And what Paul is doing here is he's, he's using a, a, a punishment of the day in which he lives to articulate a spiritual truth. There, there are many historians who basically say that one of the punishments that they would use in Paul's day is that if you were guilty of a crime, they would chain you together with another prisoner. And if in the course of, of your internment, that other prisoner died, what would often happen is that you would subsequently die because their flesh would rot and decay and it would only be a matter of time before you contracted some sort of a disease from this decayed flesh that you were chained to and that you're now having to drag around and so the, the chains that are binding you together are cutting into your flesh and creating open wounds and so now those open wounds become a source for the pathogens from that decaying body to now enter your body and so your body would begin to rot and ultimately you would die uh, in fact there were those that say uh, there are those that say that uh, one of the forms of punishment was if you killed somebody they'd chain you to them so that you had to drag around their corpse and ultimately suffer the same fate in a, in a horrible death the point is this Paul uses that to say this is our plight this is what happened with Christians we've got this old body that we're dragging around my, my friend Rick Lancaster preached on this, and he, and he, he did this, this message. He chained himself to a trash can. And he preached this whole message walking around the stage, dragging this trash can around as this visual image. I, I thought about it today. I wasn't going to rip it off. But anyway, I'll <laughs> just tell you what he did. But, but that's the picture. And this is what Paul is saying. You got the old man, you got the new man. The old man ain't going anywhere. You got to starve him to death, but you still got to drag him around. And he's like... Oh my gosh, what am I going to do? A wretched man that I am, who's going to deliver me from this body of death? He says, verse 25, we draw it to a close. I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, I serve the law of sin. So Paul's saying, look, listen, you're infected with sin. You need to stop sinning, you need to die to sin. That's Romans 6. He says, Romans 7, uh, you can't fix your problem with laws. It, it ain't going to work. The law's only going to reveal your sinfulness. So, so you can't do it that way. That's not the problem. The only way that you can fix your problem is through Jesus Christ. And he's trying to bring us along to the place where we're going to be next week, where the power is, Romans chapter 8, and I, the precursor is... Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who do not, and here's the key, do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Now, if you're here for last week's message, you might be asking yourself at this point, wait a minute. Last week, you were talking about how we can live in the new man. 
And you told us that, you know, there Paul was saying, we need to know that we died to sin in Christ. And so we deal with our mind there, taking captive every thought. And, and you need to, we need to reckon ourselves to be dead, dealing with our, our heart issue here. And so as we know that what Christ has done, and I, I renew my mind daily in Christ, be transformed by the renewing of my mind, as the Bible says, as I reckon myself to be dead, I just this act of the will, I take my heart control, and then having died to sin, I yield to God and I obey Him. This was the message of last week. But now you, what you're saying is that it, it, it's futile in, in your own effort. So what, what, what was that all about? I answer it this way. Have I ever told you the one about the guy who goes to get the saw at the hardware store? He buys this saw at the hardware store and the guy promises him up and down, this is the best saw you'll ever buy. Best saw money can buy. You cut five cords of wood with this saw. He's like, oh, I'll take it. So he comes back the next day. He's mad because he worked all day and he cut less than a half a cord of wood. He's like, you sold me a bill of goods. This thing is a piece of junk. The guy goes, man, I'm so sorry. There's got to be something defective with the saw. He gives him another saw. I said, hey, you know, go out and try this one. So the next, guy, the next day, the guy comes back even madder. He's like, I worked longer and I cut less wood today. This saw's a piece of junk and you're a shyster. And the guy goes, look, there is something wrong. Let me see your saw. The guy's like, what's that noise? <laughs> see, everything Paul said. Romans chapter 6, about how we're to know that we died in Christ, that we'll take captive the mind, that we're to reckon ourselves to be dead and deal with our heart, that we're to, having died to sin, yield and obey to God. That's all true. But apart from the work of the Holy Spirit, it's a work of your flesh, and it's not a work of God. And so it's going to be powerless. It's going to be impotent. Some of you need to hear that today. You need to come back next week, and you need to, to, to tune in. Lord, how can I appropriate? This transforming power of the Holy Spirit. Because I know, I get, I want to do all these things. How do I do it? Through the strength of the Holy Spirit. Close with this thought and we'll finish in prayer and take, partake of communion. Being filled with the Holy Spirit and empowered by the Holy Spirit was so important. that Jesus told his disciples who had spent three and a half years training with him. They couldn't go and embark on the work that he would called them to until they were filled with the Holy Spirit. If they spent three and a half years, day in and day out, being schooled directly with Jesus Christ, how much more do you and me need the power of the Holy Spirit to live the transformed life? Amen?